All right. Well, that's the announcements. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. And Lord, we know that this letter, 1 Peter, focusing on the persecution of early Christians and how they were to respond in a time when it would just be easy to be quiet and to hide away and to not face being fed to lions or imprisoned for your faith. And Lord, when we look back to the exhortation, the words of encouragement that Peter gave to that early church, I pray for all of us. While we don't face as stern a persecution, at the same time, we're often, we'll often feel led to keep quiet because we're afraid how, how people will respond. Lord, I pray you'd stir us up. I pray, Lord, we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. But Lord, we would look for divine appointments every day because there are people that don't know you. We want them to come to know you, to be born again, new creations in Christ. So we ask as we go to your word now, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So if you recognize that outline, it's because we had it last uh, two weeks ago. I only taught the first half of the chapter. But just a, by the way of quick review, because again, when you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con, amen? And we want to remember that, that Peter is writing to the first century church, who by this point has been scattered by persecution. And Christians were being fed to lions, and Christians were being imprisoned. And to be a Christian was not an easy thing to do. And when they were scattered, there was, and not only did they, were they being persecuted from the outside, a lot of them had been disowned by their family because they walked away from their Jewish faith that all pointed to Jesus and recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. So for many of them, their own family disowned them. And then they're being persecuted by the world. And many of them have had to run for their lives. So now they're in foreign cities and usually being housed by other Christians. And in the midst of all of that, they're concerned about their lives. They're concerned. And so some of them had this temptation or this, this longing in their heart to just, maybe I'll just be quiet. Maybe I don't need to speak up so much about the Lord. Maybe if, if, I'm a little, you know, if I'm a little more reserved, I won't face any persecution from the world. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. Because the number one reason we don't share our faith more is because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us or how they're going to respond. Can I get an amen to that? It's, you know, it isn't amazing how we can pray for people a lot easier than we can tell them about the Lord. You know why? Because it's a lot easier to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. Because we know he's listening, and we know he wants to hear it, and often they don't. But at the same time, as we go through the text today, I want to remind all of us, this is a spiritual battle that we fight every day, and people's eternities are hanging in the balance. And, and I know this, especially even with family, sometimes the hardest people to witness to are the people closest to you. But be reminded that there's a day coming very soon when everybody will stand before the creator of the universe. Now, we as believers will not face that great white throne judgment because we're saved, but we will be at the Bema seat, judged for how faithful we were with the gifts God's given us. But think about every person who's going to stand before Almighty God and the fact that you may be the only person that was in their life that had an opportunity to witness to them. I do not want to stand before God on judgment day, and I do not want to see people being drug off into hellfire knowing that I had an opportunity to share my faith and I was afraid to do it. Guys, let's love people enough to offend them a little bit if we have to. 
Amen? Amen. If I'm running in traffic, feel free to knock me down and drag me out of the street and offend me so I don't get hit by a bus. Amen? And the same is true. We need to see people from that eternal perspective and recognize the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And people matter. My, my, how popular I am with men, not that important. What people necessarily think about me, not that important. What's important is where are people going to spend eternity. Amen? Amen. So, Peter, again, is writing this letter to every believer, and not just every believer then, but every believer now. Like all the other letters, you see, Paul's letters are written to specific churches. Often they were shared with other churches. But in this case, this was written to all the first century believers. And it's written to every born-again Christian, so that's us. It gives us a godly and eternal perspective at a time in our lives when we are most prone to lose it, when we're, when we're struggling. Here's what happens often when you go through difficulty in life. You, you start to blame God, or you start to doubt God's faithfulness, or you start to question God's love for you, because if he loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. And then you'll hear people even say, well, God didn't show up. Well, God's not doing what he said he would do. Well, let me just make it really clear. If you're questioning God, he's never wrong. You are. Amen. Amen. If you're doubting God, you're wrong. He's right. Amen. Amen. And so there's times in our life when we, and if you get angry with God, here's the good news about our God. If you get angry with God, he's gracious enough to still love you while you're angry at him. Amen. But why do we get angry with God? Because we have a temporal perspective instead of an eternal one. And one of the things that Peter said in the first chapter is he encouraged them with, this is for but a little while. They were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were fearful. They didn't know if they would be imprisoned or fed to lions. They didn't know what was going to happen to their children. They didn't know what was in their future. And the reminder from Peter was, this is for but a little while. And whatever trial we are going through in this life, we all need to be reminded, this is for but a little while. What if it's something permanent, like your 28-year-old son going to heaven? It's still for but a little while, because I'm going to see my son again. And whatever trial we may be going through in this life, it is temporary. And, and for us as believers, everything changes when we take our focus off of the temporal and we put it on the eternal. One of my favorite Bible verses is Colossians 3, 2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why are we bummed out? Because we're looking around. And when do we get the right perspective? When we quit looking this way and we start looking up. Amen? We serve a faithful God, a gracious God, a loving God, a merciful God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He's coming back to take us home. And guys, there's a day coming soon. We'll be in the presence of our Savior. We'll never be separated from those we love ever again. No more tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more gasoline prices. Amen? Amen. No more politicians. No more wars. It'll all be done. It is finished. And praise God for that. Amen? And so when you're overwhelmed by the things of the world, just remember it's for but a little while. And soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so this is the exhortation. This is what it's, the, the heart it's being written from. Is the, I understand the discouragement. I understand what it's like to be overwhelmed. I understand the midst of trials, how our hearts can break. And I recognize all of that. And so did Peter. But at the same time, Peter was loving enough to exhort them to set their eyes on the Lord. So last time, I'll just go through quickly the first portion, and we're going to look at just the second half of the, chap of the, 
outline this morning. So last time, two weeks ago when I was here, um, I tell the message there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. You know, if we're going to grow spiritually, we're going to go through trials. And we, I say this often, so it bears repeating, everybody used mightily in Scripture suffered greatly. There's not one example of somebody who was used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. And all the 12 apostles, one of them, you know, committed suicide, Judas, after betraying the Lord, but the rest of them were martyred, except for John, who they boiled in oil and wouldn't die because God wouldn't let him die because he still had to write the book of Revelation. Amen? And so every one of them who's used mildly by God, but what we need to understand, this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, when you give your life to the Lord, you give it all to him. You give your finances to him. You give your health to him. You give your children to him. You give it all to him. So God can do with our lives whatever he chooses to do. And we need to recognize that, you know what? If God wants to use me for his glory, what a blessing, what a privilege that is. It should be a get to and not a have to, amen? We get to serve the Lord. We get to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And God, no suffering is wasted. So the first part, he talked about rejoicing in suffering, to see suffering for what it truly is. Not worldly affliction meant to cause pain, but a divine appointment sent to help us grow spiritually. See, when we go through trials, and we'll talk about this this morning a little more in depth, you know, when we go through the fiery trials, the same fire that burns up straw purifies gold. That same fire that destroys somebody that doesn't know the Lord and just is devastating to them, what it does in our lives, it purifies us and molds us more into the image of our Savior. And isn't that what we all want? But we want it without the fire. <laughs> Amen? We, we, give me patience right now. I mean, that mentality, right? You know, and we want, we want the microwave patience and it's, it comes through a crock pot instead. You know, it takes time. It takes time that we're going to go through and God's going to minister to our lives. And we're going to see next week in chapter five, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I'll be teaching at a pastor's conference in August in Hawaii. One of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is 1 Peter chapter five. And he talks about, you know, what it means to serve the Lord and that calling to serve God. I'm looking forward to teaching that next Sunday. But he talks about rejoicing in our suffering. And it doesn't mean that you're happy that you're suffering. What I mean by that is you're not jumping up and down doing jumping jacks saying, oh, it's such a blessing to be tortured. No, but recognizing that this is fruitful, not fruitless. And that we are, what we are going through will open doors for the gospel. And I want you to know this. This is an absolute fact. Your life speaks the loudest of your faith when you are suffering or going through a great trial or being persecuted for your faith and you keep praising Jesus. Because you know what it does? It impacts the entire world around you that's watching you. Amen? They're going to go, how can you still, how do you, look what happened to you. How do you still have joy? How do you still have faith? How is that even possible? Well, it's only possible because of who we know. Because we belong to him. Because we can trust his character. Amen? So, so first he says rejoice in suffering. First of all, we looked at expecting suffering. It's all a part of the Christian life. It says in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. So as believers, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go back into a trial. It's a part of, the, of our walk with the Lord. And again, but it's light affliction. And as Christians, can I say this? Christians, I've said it before, you've heard me say it, we should not be complainers. Amen? Amen? 
We want to complain about gas prices. Are you going to heaven? Yes. Don't worry about it. Amen. <laughs> Whatever. It's all stuff. Is he Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, a provider? Is he going to provide for us? Yes. Let's quit complaining. Let's start rejoicing. Yes. Amen. While the world complains, we rejoice. You know what that'll do? That'll get them to want to know why we're not complaining. And we'll be able to tell them why we're not complaining because we're going to heaven. We know the King of Kings and we are so thankful that we know that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. And by the way, there's room for you to go too. Amen? Right? And so it's, we should have that heart and that attitude to recognize suffering is coming. It's coming. Don't be surprised when it comes. Say, you know what we need to do? We don't pray, Lord, Help me, keep me from ever having to suffer. But Lord, give me strength that when I'm suffering to keep my eyes on you. When the trials come, help me to continue to walk with you. Continue to be faithful to you. Use it for your glory and for your kingdom. Not only expect suffering as a normal part of the Christian life, but then we saw it produces a deeper fellowship with the Lord. You know what happens when you're going through difficulty, and I've used this analogy many times, but you know, when you're laying down in green pastures, Psalm 23, you can forget where the shepherd is. You're laying in the green pastures, you're comfortable, everything, you're laying in the sun. Where's the, the shepherd? He's under somewhere, I don't know. But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're hanging on to the shepherd with both hands. See, when you go through trials, it, and, I, and here's my, my concern for all of us. Some of us in the midst of the trial run from the Lord when we need to run to the Lord. The enemy wants you to run from God. He wants you to be mad at God. He wants you to shake your fist at God. He wants you to doubt God's grace and his love and his mercy. But the reality is, in the midst of those trials, we run to him. We hold on to him with both hands. Because you know what? He's a faithful God. And, we, and he weeps with us. Amen? The Bible even tells us he stores our tears in a bottle. I mean, he weeps with us. So we're not going, if you're going through this alone, it's your fault because God wants to go through it with you. If you will but let him, amen? And so we need to know that to expect suffering is a part of normal everyday life. It produces deeper fellowship with Jesus and that's what we all want. Faith that hasn't been tested is the faith that cannot be trusted. And see, it's, that, it's when we go through those trials of life that we're molded more to the image of our Savior and the more desperate we become for Him. And by the way, being humble, broken, and desperate is the best place and makes you the most usable person you could possibly be for the kingdom of God. Do you know that a man or a woman is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken? When you break a vase, you throw it in the trash. When something breaks in your house, you pitch it. When we're broken... You know, what, you know what that means? That means more of the Holy Spirit can pour out of us on other people. Amen? And then finally, the Spirit of God rests upon you. Boy, this has been good for me for the last six months. Just some days are just so tough. But God's got my son. And, and you know what he does? He reminds me. And the Bible says he is the God of all comfort that he comforts us in our suffering, that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And as I've mentioned, I've already done three funerals for people who've lost kids since my son went to heaven. We go to a grief share thing on Tuesday nights at Calvary Oxnard. We're ministering to other people. See, God, when we go through something difficult, I want you to be ready to let God use it for his glory in ministering to somebody else, just like people were ministering to me that had already been through it when we lost our son in, in September. See, the, again, God is good and God is faithful. And I can't imagine going through this without him. Can you imagine going through the trials of life without the Lord? So 
This morning, we're going to pick up in verse 15. We're just going to look at verse 15 to 19. So not only rejoicing and suffering is a part, there's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. For to grow spiritually, we must rejoice in suffering, but we must also, must also examine our own lives. And so am I suffering because I've been persecuted for my faith, or am I dealing with the consequences of my own sinful behavior? One of the mistakes we can make is we can equate suffering for the cause of Christ when it's actually consequences for my rebellious behavior. And we'll talk about that in detail as we go through it. First, we're going to see the source of suffering. Is it persecution for my faith or consequences of my sin? See, persecution for your faith is suffering. Consequences for your sin is really righteous judgment. Amen? Those who the Lord loves, He, he disciplines. And because he, because he loves us, he wants to draw us back into right relationship with him. And while both of those come to us for different reasons, God will use both of them to mold us into his image. Second point, am I ashamed of the Lord or am I bringing glory to his name? And most of us would say, well, no way am I ashamed of the Lord. But there's moments when we all act like we're ashamed of the Lord. Amen? There are moments when you know the Lord wants you to speak up and then you don't. Am I the only one? The Lord wants you to say something to that person, encourage that person, speak to that person, stand for the cause of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And there are times when we stay silent. There's times when we are intimidated by men instead of being faithful to God. And so, am I ashamed of the Lord? Or do I bring glory to his name? We'll look at that this morning. Number point C there, am I living every day in light of eternity with a sense of urgency in the light of coming judgment. We should be living every day as if Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow because he could. And there's that sense of urgency. I kind of miss that from the 70s. Uh, back in the 70s, everybody was talking about the rapture of the church, and now people go, well, it's been forever, been a long time. And yet, We're just that much closer. <laughs> Amen? When, when we, it was six months on Thursday since my son went to heaven, and it, what I just kept telling people, it just means it's six months closer for, to me seeing him again. It's not six months further away from him, but six months closer to him, and six months closer to the Lord, amen? And the same is true for us. And we need believers or judge for our faithfulness to obey and use our gifts and the lost world around us to eternal torment. We're all going to face judgment from God, but it, in our case, we've been forgiven, so praise God for that. And we're not going to be judged. Our, he separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. That being said, it doesn't mean we should be, you know, up on a mountain somewhere contemplating our navel, waiting till he comes back. He doesn't want us just being on the sideline. You know, he doesn't want saved souls and wasted lives. God has called you and God has gifted you. And are you being faithful to do what God has called you to do? Are you living the, the life that God created you for? And I want to encourage you, spend time in prayer, spend time in the word and pray for opportunities to be used by the Lord. Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. The number one thing that we're all called to do is to share our faith. If everybody had cancer and we got an antidote, and as soon as we took that antidote, our cancer went away, we'd be the most selfish people in the world if we had enough antidote for everyone else and we just put it in a drawer and didn't worry about them. They'd be the, most, the most selfish thing we could do is go to heaven by ourselves. So guess what? We have an antidote. The cancer is called sin, and the antidote is Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. And how dare we keep it to ourselves? Amen? 
I was coming for a different kind of message today. I didn't know I was going to get beat up. Like <laughs> and then finally, have I fully committed my life to the Lord, to living a life of obedience to his perfect will, willing to suffer that God might be glorified? Are you willing to suffer that God might be glorified? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. So let's begin there in verse 15. Again, looking now at examining our lives. Uh, there's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. Am I suffering because I'm persecuted for my faith? Or am I dealing with the consequences of my own sinful behavior? First, let's look at the source of suffering. Look what he says there. So previously, he had just said in verse 14, let me read that to you for context. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. What a glorious thing. Then it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. He's saying, look, you will face suffering for living for the Lord, but let's make sure that that's what you're suffering for because you're standing for the cause of Christ, because you're living a life out loud for Jesus. Not because, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody. So why are you suffering? Is it persecution for standing up for the Lord? Or is it consequences for ungodly behavior? See, persecution, it comes for having fellowship with the Lord. Now, I don't want to compare, I'm going to talk about somebody in depth that had a huge impact on my life when I was 16 years old in a little bit. Uh, it just, it changed my life hearing this man's testimony. I'm going to talk about him. But our fellowship with Christ rarely really brings what the world would see as real persecution. But I will say the closest we've been to it was probably during the pandemic, where people, I had pastors calling me on the phone and telling me how horrible I was, other Christians lighting me up because how dare you have church? How dare you have church? Don't you care about people's health? You know what I care about? I care about your eternity is what I care about. I want to see people saved. I want to see lives changed. And if someone, again, has a pre-existing condition and is fearful of being here, they can watch on live stream. But I'm t I've told you this, and I mean it, and you can hold me accountable to it. We will never, this church will never be closed on a Sunday or Thursday until Jesus comes back. Amen. I don't care what happens. Amen. Amen. The, Bible, the Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And that was spoken by Paul to the believers when they were being put to death, when they were facing being fed to lions. I haven't seen any Christians fed to lions in our country yet. Never know. But our fellowship with Christ, if you're persecuted because you love Jesus, and the persecution we face isn't really persecution, it's, I got an email from somebody mad at me. We had some people show up at the, the, when we were at the VOS and we didn't have masks on and they just blasted me at the front door about Romans 13 and not submitting to the authority God's placed over us. We submit to the authority God placed over, over us until they tell us to disobey God, then we play, obey God rather than man. Amen. 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 Bringing glory to his name. If you bring glory to his name and you face persecution, okay. Uh, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit rests upon you. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So persecution takes place. But then there's consequences of sin. But that comes from broken fellowship with the Lord and bringing harm to the Lord's name. So those are two separate things. And too often in the world we live in, uh, 
you know, we have this mentality that as a Christian, if I catch heat from anybody for anything, that I'm being persecuted for my faith. Well, no, sometimes you're just getting, you know, beat up because you're a jerk. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I've told this before. We had a guy in our office in San Jose that would go around the office. He was a self-proclaiming Christian. He would scream at people and, you know, and, and just was obnoxious. And then he comes down being persecuted. I said, no, dude, you're a jerk. Just stop it. You're not representing Jesus well. Amen. Be kind, be loving, be gracious. Broken fellowship. So as believers, we'll never, he's adopted us and he's not going to disown us. That won't happen. But you can break, temporarily break fellowship with your heavenly father by choosing to walk in rebellion. Okay. And there's the analogy I would use when I was a youth pastor. I have four kids and they're all very close together. I had three boys in 26 months, okay? So my boys would sometimes be at the dinner table, and some, it, was, it was never my daughter. It was always my boys. So my boys would, you know, some would hit somebody or something would happen, and I'd tell them they had to leave the table and had to go get the, you know, the board of education and wait in the laundry room for the board of education being applied to the seat of learning, amen? <laughs> so they would go and wait in the laundry room, and, and now during the rest of the meal, he's still my son, I still love him. I would die for him. I would do anything for him. But during that moment, he has broken fellowship with the rest of the family because of what he's chosen to do. And the same can happen with us where, you know, you can walk in open rebellion. You can, we, we used to call it backsliding. Amen? You know, you're, you're sliding away. You're falling away. from. Now, the good news is you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back get right back in fellowship with him. That, but that broken fellowship can bring harm to the Lord's name, and it impacts your walk with God. I rarely see somebody who spends time daily in prayer, who's in the word, and who's in fellowship, who's mad at God. Amen? Shaking their fists at God, walking in open rebellion against God. Again, you've heard me say it, rebellion or fellowship, choose one because you can't have both. Amen? So if you're in rebellion, it's time to repent and stay in a place of fellowship. Now, it's interesting because one of the examples I thought of here when it talks about, but don't, be, don't suffer as a thief or an evildoer or a, a, a murderer. Well, I did prison ministry for years, and I did it for several years out in Lancaster, and I was in the A yard where most of them were lifers, or certainly 25 to life. Now, I started doing, I was doing a Bible study there every week, and I was meeting these guys, and I remember the first guy I met, the first time I went, it was with Bill Glass Ministries, and what they do is they bring pro athletes. Uh, Roger Staubach was there, and Tom Landry, and George Rogers, who won the Heisman Trophy, and then uh, somebody who played in a, a band, I can't remember who it was. But we're walking, and they, they all come out, and you share the gospel with them, and then they said, well, we want a Bible study. So I started teaching this Bible study. Well, that first day I was there, hard to believe, but back then I was still a big guy benching a lot of weight. So a bunch of guys were working out in this weight area, so I thought, well, that's, I'm, I'm comfortable there. I was in my early 20s. So I walked over, and this guy was bench pressing like 300-something pounds, and I said, do you mind if I jump in there? And he looked at me, and I, you know, so I did, and okay. But then I made the mistake of touching him, and I found out quickly, you don't do that with lifers in prison. And if the guy's look could have killed me, I'd have been dead on the spot. And the dude was 6'9", and had tattoos all over the top of his head, and he just, he looked, you know, scary. And he just kind of gave me this attitude, like, 
And I was like, I, I think I'll move over here. But here's what happened. I started teaching that Bible study every week. And that guy would see me come in every week. And finally, after a couple months, he came over and he goes, hey, hey preacher, who, who pays you to come in here? I said, nobody. Why are you coming in here? I said, because I love you and I care about you and I want you to know Jesus. A couple weeks later, he came to the study. He ended up getting saved. He started doing announcements for me and dragging everybody to that Bible study because everybody was afraid of that brother. Amen? And four years later, when I left, we just held each other and wept. But one of the things I said to, to his name was Jesse. One of the things I said to Jesse was, well, you know, Jesse, Paul was in prison too. And he goes, oh, stop right there. He goes, Paul was in prison because he served God and because he was being persecuted for his faith. I'm in prison because I murdered three people. And it was a gang, you know, gang on gang over drugs. And, and he got, he, he not, he's still, I'm sure he's still there. Tried to reach out to him a while back. He's been moved around, I'm sure. But the reality is, so there's a, there, you can be in prison because you're a murderer and you deserve to be in prison. Amen? And you can be in prison because you're faithfully serving the Lord and God will use them. Here's the good news. God met both Paul and Jesse in prison. He was with both of them. Amen? And Jesse got saved in prison. And Jesse was sharing his faith and leading other people to the Lord in prison. Now, he was in prison because of the choices he made. It was the consequences of his sin. And Paul was in prison because he faithfully served the Lord. Now, I'm going to share with you quick, briefly, this. Uh, how many of you guys ever heard of Richard Wormbrandt? He started Voice of the Martyrs. You ever heard of that? Okay, so... Richard Wormbrandt, when I was 16 years old, and then again when I was 18 years old, came to the church my dad pastored. And he actually came over to our house for dinner. I spent time with this man. And he could barely walk. He was in a lot of pain always. And this is briefly his testimony. In 1948, um, he was a, a, a Romanian evangelical pastor in 1948. And he made a stand to say that communism and Christianity don't coexist in a communist nation. They don't like that. And what happened? He was also uh, preached in bomb shelters. He rescued Jews during World War II. And as a result, he experienced imprisonment and torture by the then communist regime in Romania, which maintained a police state of atheism. They believed, you know, there's a lot of nations that just preach atheism. And if you believe anything else, you're going contrary to what the nation preaches or what, what the nation teaches. Uh, we may, we're not far. We're not far. So Warren Brown was in prison the first time for eight and a half years and was released in 1956. And although he was warned not to preach, he resumed his work with the underground church the next day. And now, these are the guys I love right here. The apostle Paul, stoned to death at Lystra, gets a glimpse of heaven. God raises him from the dead. He goes right back into the city and starts preaching the gospel again. You know, you can't stop the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And he goes in there. What are you going to do? I, I had a glimpse of heaven. Heaven's better. Throw rocks at me. I won't even move. I'm right here. There's a fearlessness that comes with faithfulness. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Amen? Amen. He was arrested again in 1959 and sentenced to 25 years in prison. During his imprisonment, he was beaten and tortured. The physical torture included mutilation, burning, 
being locked in a frozen icebox. His body bore scars of physical torture for the rest of his life. Uh, at one point, he recounted having the soles of his beat until the flesh was torn off, and the next day they beat, uh, beat again to the bones, again claiming to, to, that the word, he told us that the pain was beyond anything you could even understand. They put him into a dark cell that was in the shape of, of an L, and there was no light. He saw no light for over five years. He was in the dark, and it was in the shape of an L because they don't want you to be able to lay down. And they don't want you to really be able to stand up. So you have to kind of be crooked and, you're, and without being too, you're standing in your own excrement in the dark. And you know what he did? He would use the chains to play worship songs and sing praises to Jesus in the dark. And the other prisoners could hear him. And they started playing their chains together. And they would use their chains to bang them against the wall to do Morris code, to talk to each other. And we are bummed out because our friends stopped talking to us because we invited them to church. <laughs> Amen? He, I, I, I love this man. I, from the moment I met him, I just was enthralled by him. And his supporters were unable to gain information about him. And twice they came and told his wife that People, the police officers would show up at his house and say, well, we shot and killed your husband yesterday. He's dead. So now she's being tormented, even though he's not really dead. And then she found out he was alive. Then they came back another four years later and told, him, told her the same thing. And you know what? Neither he nor his wife ever wavered in their faith or their praising of the Lord. Those are people whose example I want to follow. How about you? And then God used him uh, it later talks, I mean, I met his little wife. They're both in heaven now. They died some years ago. Um, but he devoted the rest of his life to sharing the gospel and to pointing to people who are being tortured for their faith in Christ and to make a stand for the Lord in communist nations. And God bless him. See, there's a man that understood what it meant to make a stand for the Lord, and that the source of his suffering was a source of persecution, and God would use it for his glory if he would but let him. I promise you that Richard Wormbrandt is not in heaven now bummed out that he was tortured for Christ. Amen? Because you know what that did? It opened the door for a lot of people to hear the gospel. And again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Now notice on this list, it's not just murderer, but thief and evildoer. You know, if we're going to face imprisonment, may it not be for breaking the law and being evil, may it be for standing for the Lord, amen? Prison is a blessing if you're doing it for the Lord, if you're standing for the Lord, if they throw, we, you know, it, it was never, I don't think anywhere close to being in prison, but we had some sheriffs show up at the VOS one Sunday and they came in, and it was before service. A lot of people weren't there yet, and he said, we've had complaints that you're having church here. I said, we are. And he goes, well, you're only supposed to have 10 people. I said, we're going to have a lot more than that. Yeah. We're not going to turn anybody away. And I said, if you need to arrest anybody, I'm the senior pastor. And I said, and, you know, and I'll just tell Joshua to teach. Amen? And, the, and I, love that, the, I love the sheriffs. They go, we're letting people out of jail who are criminals. We're not going to be arresting any pastors. We're not doing it. Amen. Amen. And so let's, let's stand for the things of God and not fear what men can do to us because God is for us. And we must not lose sight of that. But again, we need to recognize why we are suffering. 
Are we suffering because of our ungodly behavior? Or is it persecution because we're standing for the things of God? The reality is most of the time it's the first one. Amen? Most of the times it's choices that we make. I find it interesting, isn't it? Don't you love how it's murderer, thief, evildoer, or busybody? So what does God think about gossip? He puts in the list with murder. Because you know what? When you gossip about somebody, you're tearing down their reputation. You're tearing down their name. You're causing them great harm. Amen? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Prayer or praise. Amen? If we can't praise them, pray for them. And if you can't do either one, be quiet. Amen? Prayer or praise. If you see somebody, pray for them. Somebody struggling, if you can't encourage them, then be quiet. Amen? The persecuted brings glory to his name. Consequences of sin bring harm to his name. So my phone blew up this week because there was a pastor, I forget where he's from, somewhere on the East Coast, that got arrested because he was dealing in child pornography. And of course, everybody I know who isn't a Christian is quick to point that out to me, thinking like he's my best friend or something. Well, you're a pastor too. There's another one of you hypocrites. I said, well, yeah, there are a lot of hypocrites. But I'd rather spend Sunday with a few hypocrites than attorney in hell with all of them. Amen? But the reality is, they don't like it when you tell them that back. But the reality is, here's a guy, and the sad part is, I went back, when they sent it to me, I went back and listened to his messages, and they were solid. I listened to two or three of his messages in a row, and he was teaching the Word, and I'm thinking, how in the world are you standing behind the pulpit and teaching the Bible? And he had literally thousands and thousands and thousands of child pornography things he was exchanging with other people, and had been doing this for years, and you think, what in the world? But you know what it did? What did it do? It caused harm to the cause of Christ, Right? Everybody says, see, another hypocrite, see those pastors, see those Christians, they pretend to be one thing, and when you get a closer look, you'll find out they're all a bunch of phonies, or they're all just after your money, or whatever. And of course, I'm on this site, the person sends me, there's 10,000 comments, and they're all not just ripping him, but Christianity. Guys, we want to live in such a way that we draw people to Christ, we don't repel them from him because of our ungodly behavior. Amen? Amen. Again, we're all sinners, saved by grace. And though we're not sinless, we should sin less. Amen? Amen. Be holy for I am holy. So we are going to fail, and we should be the first ones to repent when we do, and the first ones to apologize to somebody that we've harmed in any way, to show them a representation of of the grace of God. Amen? Amen? But the exhortation here is, again, is a source of of your suffering, persecution for your faith, or consequences of your sin. Point number two, am I ashamed of the Lord? Look at verse 16. Yes, if anyone suffers as Christians, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, I love that the term here, and it's a term people don't like to use anymore. First of all, suffer is to be affected or to, be, to feel or to have a, an experience, to undergo in a bad sense, to suffer sadly, to have a bad plight. The word suffer is used 41 times in the New Testament. It's 11 times in 1 Peter. 
So this is really the book about how to deal with suffering. Again, it's a short book. It's five short chapters. And it has one-fourth of the times that suffering is talked about in the entire New Testament. Because he's addressing people that are suffering. He's addressing people that are going through such torment. Notice it says, as a Christian. And you know what? God bless you, whatever. But I'm tired of people saying, well, I don't want to be referred to as a Christian. I'm a faith follower, or I'm a this. Stop it! Because first of all, in the first century church, they were called Christians. It means, it means follower of, it actually means a little Christ, someone who, who represents Christ, someone who follows Jesus Christ. I never want to take his name. I don't believe in Mary Xmas either, amen? We don't take Christ out of anything, amen? We want to always point him to Jesus. We want to proclaim his name with boldness. We want to be unashamed of it. I am thankful and blessed that I am called a Christian. Amen? Amen. By the way, you don't just get that name given to you. An analogy I've used before is when I got engaged to my wife, Lynette. Uh, we've married 37 years last January. Uh, I took her to the nicest restaurant in Santa Cruz. I got on my knee. I asked her to marry me, and praise God, she said yes. And when, I, when she said yes, I put a ring on her finger, and that was a representation to everyone around us that she was spoken for. I put a ring on my finger that I'm spoken for. I belong to her, and she belongs to me. And then later, you know, we, we had the marriage ceremony, and that's when she took my name. She went from Lynette Weir to Lynette Johnston. Now, here's that analogy. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus proposed to us not on his knee at Shadowbrook, but on the cross of Calvary. Will you be my bride? And when we say yes to his proposal, he doesn't give us a ring. He gives us the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us, who now is a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week reminder that we belong to him, that we are his. Amen? Amen? And then and only then, when you have recognized you're a sinner, you've accepted his proposal, you've been born again, then and only then do you get to take his name, and that name is Christian. Amen? Amen. So guys, let's not downplay Christian. I love that name. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus, our Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. Again, suffering as a Christian, he says, there is nothing to be ashamed of. Even though the world may despise you, we should glorify God in the midst of it. You know, Peter writes this letter from prison. He doesn't even mention it. Paul writes letters to 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus from prison. Never mentions it. Why? Because to them, it was just part of the calling that they had. This is where God has me. You know, Paul got a lot of, of the New Testament writing done sitting in prison. So God put him in prison to slow him down so, he could, so we could have the part of the Bible. Amen? So look, no suffering is wasted. And we should praise God in the midst of it. We should absolutely be ashamed, though. We should never be ashamed of being persecuted. But we should be ashamed if we've not made a stand for the Lord. Bible says, if you can, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Are you openly confessing him before the Lord? Making a stand for him? Suffering as Christians, and again, known as disciples and believers, but eventually when we get to the book of Acts, we see the first three places in the New Testament where followers are called Christians. First time was in Antioch. Later, Agrippa told Paul, you must persuade me to become a Christian. And that shows, again, that between Acts 11 and Acts 26, Christian became the name for the followers of Jesus Christ, and I love that name. I praise God for it. I'm not a Christian. I'm a faith follower. Stop. 
I don't want to hear. I'm on my journey. What journey is that? It is finished. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Paid in full. Stop it already. Just getting nauseated by all that nonsense. We're not woke Christians. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. Stay faithful. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. If we're going to have consequences, may it be for standing for the Lord, not for living like the world. Amen? Amen. And again, we're gonna, it's a daily battle. Wake up every morning. Help me, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. Help me to be the man of God, woman of God you've called me to, de- to be. Again, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And again, so examine your life. Examine your life. Am I ashamed? What's the source of my suffering? Is it persecution for my faith or consequences for my sin? Am I ashamed of our Lord? Am I ashamed of Him? By the way, I would say this too. If I went to your work tomorrow and I walked around and said to each person, can you give me three words, three things that would describe this person? Or if I went to your neighborhood and said, can you give me three names, three words that describe this person? I would hope that everybody here, a Christian, would be one of those words. Amen? Amen. Great sports, you know, good, uh, (laughs) nice dresser, whatever. (laughs) Loves Jesus. I, 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 I don't like to be the hero of my stories, but here's the reality. We had a thing at work, and they did that. And they had everybody in the office write something positive about everyone else in the office, and then they laminated it and gave it to us. And I was really blessed that 95% of the ones on mine talked about Jesus, loves Jesus, sold out for Jesus, passionate for Jesus, you know, loves God, you know, that kind of stuff. And praise God. But you know what else that means? I'm accountable. Amen? Amen. When you stand for Jesus and everybody knows you stand, you know, don't be taking the Christian fish off your car because you drive 90. Put the fish on and drive the speed limit. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but, but too often, too often what happens is we're like, well, I'm, I'm identified as a Christian. I got to live like one. Well, that should be accountability. Start living like one. Amen? C, am I living every day in light of eternity? Look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will it be in the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Boy, this is heavy. Now, first of all, judgment should begin in the house of God. You know, as believers, it is right for judgment to begin in our house with us. As born-again, spirit-filled believers, we should live different than the world. Amen? We should be radically different than the world. You hear me say it? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. But we should be surprised when people who proclaim to know God act like they don't know God. And again, it's something we all do and we struggle from time to time. But when we do, that should bring us to our knees, to a place of repentance, to cry out to the Lord. We want to be a godly testimony. And once people do know we're Christians, we're held to a higher level of accountability. So it begins in the household of God. And you know what? I'm glad this guy who was doing child pornography got caught, and I hope they put him in prison, and I hope he repents in prison. Amen? There needs to be consequences when we go outside of God's will and we bring harm to God's name. Amen? And the judgment that brother should be fearing more than the judge is the one when he stands before the creator of the universe when he dies. Amen? 
Now, at the same time, can God redeem him like he did Jesse? What's the answer? And praise God for that. Praise God for his grace. Nobody, you know, look, nobody's so good they don't need to be saved, and so nobody's so bad that they can't be saved. Amen? The answer for everyone, no matter where you are in that spectrum, we're all mostly over here, is we need Jesus, and he's the answer. We're called to be a reflection of Jesus to a lost and a dying world. You've heard me say, grace is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? Amen. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Absolutely not. As believers, because we've been redeemed and forgiven for it, doesn't mean we should continue in it. If, any, if you're walking with the Lord, you will hate your sin. Amen. You'll hate it. You'll despise it. You'll break your heart. Amen? If you're living in it and you don't despise it, I'm concerned about whether or not you're saved. Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And it's not my job, it's not my job to judge your salvation. I don't want to do that. I don't want no part of that. But what I would say is, if, if I could live like this man did, and what's crazy, I've listened to his messages and he's living like this. But Lord, how can you live that way and not be convicted by it? That's why the judgment should begin in the household of faith. Amen? We should have our lives openly examined. I have people say I'm way too transparent. I'm going to always be transparent with you guys. I'm never going to pretend like my life's perfect. I'm never going to pretend that it's been... E- I'm going to be super transparent. Why? Because we... Look, here's the reality. God knows the truth. Amen? And we don't need to put on false things in front of other people. Let's be transparent. Now, one of the things that causes us as believers to face the judgment of God is we act more like the world than we follow the Lord. And we are called to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. You've heard me say the, the boat should be in the water, but no water in the boat. Amen? We should be ministering to the world, but we don't become like the world. And I'm also sick of all the progressive Christianity, which is neither progressive nor Christian, by the way. Amen? But what they'll say is, oh, but you know, well, Jesus ate with wine. He ate with them, but he didn't participate in their sin. Amen? I'd co- I'd co- yeah, I like to go down to the strip club and witness to people. No. No. Dude, no. Amen? You're participating. Amen? Well, who's going to witness to them? Then stand outside by their car when they get out. Don't be inside there. What are you doing, bro? Back in 1 Peter 4.12, just from last week, he said, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. See, the fire will, in, will, again, it will purify the believer, but sadly, it's the punishment for the ungodly. See, the fiery trials that we go through, again, make us more to the image of our Savior, but it will be the eternal judgment for someone who rejects the Lord. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. We need to stand transparent before Almighty God. One of the greatest things about this men's retreat I just did, and we need to do another men's retreat because they keep getting canceled because of, we had one canceled for a fire, then we had two canceled because of COVID, and we need to have another one. But these 75 guys came, they go to this church that had been closed for a while, they have a new pastor, they barely knew each other, and by the time they left, they were, they were standing up at night at the, uh, around the bonfire and sharing the struggles they were having and asking for prayer and being accountable to each other. And you know what? And that's what needs to happen in the household of faith. We don't need to be lone rangers. 
Christianity's not for the Lone Ranger. Don't be off on your own. We need to be in the presence of others and encourage people. But that same fire that consumes straw will purify gold. And again, it's the fire is the same, but its purpose and application is different and effect upon the straw and upon the gold. And even as we may suffer some of the same things the un- ungodly world does, yet the purpose of God is different. The purpose of the fire is different in our life. So when we we need to be judged by God that we might repent and we might walk in faithful obedience and we might use the gifts God's given us. And so praise God that he loves us enough to bring the Holy Spirit head slap, to bring that divine discipline. We need it. Amen? Amen. And so when he brings it, we should, okay, yes, Lord, and be transparent about it. And don't all act like we're a bunch of perfect people. By the way, look around. There's not one perfect person in this room. Amen? The only perfect one is the one that died on the cross for us. Notice it says there at the rest of that verse, it says, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter's sobering application is clear. If this is what God's children experience, so if if we experience the righteous judgment of God upon earth to draw us back into the Lord, what kind of judgment will come upon those who totally reject the Lord? What kind of re- if, he, if he disciplines his children this way to bring us back, what kind of discipline, what kind of righteous judgment will come upon those who reject him completely, want no part of him, and reject the cross of Calvary and the grace of God? Because here's the reality. All of our sins paid for. It's either paid for by the Lord or it's paid for by you. Amen? And if the Lord has paid for it, then he sees us holy and righteous and we enter into pre- in the presence of Almighty God and we're going to heaven. But if you reject Almighty God, see, here's what sin does. It separates. Sin separates. It separates us from Almighty God. You know, it's an archery term, the difference between perfection and where it lands. So it's imperfection that separates us from perfection. And guess what? We've all been separated from God. Then Jesus came, the only perfect one who restored sinful man back to holy God. There's a bridge between sinful man and holy God, and that bridge is the cross of Calvary. And there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life, and there's no other way we can have fellowship with Almighty God apart from His Son. Amen? Amen. So, judgment is coming to all men, but Jesus took our judgment upon Himself. He endured the torment, the suffering, and the shame, and all of our sin was placed upon Him. Those who reject Him, they're still going to face the judgment that Jesus took in our place, but they're going to face it on their own. And they're going to spend eternity in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's no way out of it. And there's no purgatory. And there's no second chances. And that's why today needs to be the day of salvation. Amen? Because, and we should be burdened for people because they're going to hell without Jesus. And they're before the, we're not better. Are we better than those people? No, we're just, we just, by the grace of God, have responded to his, his free gift of salvation. And aren't you glad somebody told you? We need not keep it to ourselves. How can they ever hope to stand before the judgment and wrath of God? It breaks my heart. You see the arrogance today. Well, if there is a God, I'm going to stand, you know, you know, and I'm just going to party with all my friends in hell. There's no parties in hell. Amen. You hear people say, I'm going to shake friends. I'm going to, for the first thousand years, shaking hands with all my friends. No, you're not. You're getting completely isolated. You're going to be in torment and pain that never goes away. And it could have been paid for if you had just given your life to the Lord. Amen? He offers salvation universally. It must be accepted individually. He won't force it on you, but he offers it to you. And now you have a choice to make. 
Christians can rejoice that the suffering we face is for but a little while. But if you don't know the Lord, it's not for but a little while, it's for all eternity. Amen? And it's far worse than anything we'll endure. No pain, no suffering or trials or separation from the ones we love ever again. For believers, this is as bad as it gets. Amen? This is as bad as it gets. For the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. Amen? This is as bad as it gets. We're going to get to heaven. It's going to blow doors on this place. Can I get an amen? When we, and I say this often, but I, it bears repeating because I remind myself every day. When we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away. No matter how great you think heaven is, it's going to be greater than that. That's why people don't want to come back. Amen? And no matter how great you think God is, he's greater than that. Amen? When we get to heaven, we'll say, if I had known you were this great, I would have prayed more. Well, he is that great. Start praying more. Amen? So, guys, we, should, we can rejoice because this is what light affliction. It's for but a little while. We just have a vapor of time on this planet. Let's make it count for the kingdom of God. Let's be recruiting people to heaven. Amen? Let's be telling people about Jesus. Let's be unashamed of the gospel. People need the Lord. And we have, we have the antidote. His name's Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who allows us to minister to other people. We don't want to sit on the sidelines. For every believer, this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever, this side of hell. For unbelievers, again, this is as, as good as it gets. And if they don't repent, they'll face eternity of torment. Think of Lazarus and the rich man, Luke 16, where he lived this great life, and then the Lazarus, the beggars in heaven, and it's, it's, they were in Abraham's bosom before Jesus died on the cross. He eventually gets ushered into heaven. He's looking across, and he wants a drop of water put on his tongue, and he can't. And what does he say? Go back and tell my family. And what does he say? He said, look, if they won't believe the law and the prophets, they won't even believe if an angel comes. The law and the prophets is this book right here. Amen? That's why we teach the word here and nothing else. Nothing else. God's word transforms lives. Let's finish up. It says there in verse 18. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If we, if we are scarcely, if one is scarcely saved, the word scarcely does with difficulty, hardly, not easily, very rarely. You know what? That breaks my heart because that means that most people won't be saved. The Bible says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to right. So most people won't be saved, and that breaks our heart. It breaks our Savior's heart. He created us to have a relationship with Him. Amen? And, and so we can't get overwhelmed that we're outnumbered because the Bible says we'll be outnumbered. But you know what? I, I love that story where there's a, a guy on the beach, and he's got... There's, there's a bunch of starfish came up on the beach. I've shared this before. And the guy's walking with his dad, and a little kid picks up a starfish and throws it in the ocean. And his dad's like, why are you wasting your time? He said, you can't throw all these back in the ocean. He said, save that one. Amen? And not everybody, but let's preach to everybody and let God be the one that draws them unto himself. It's difficulty that righteous is saved. It says in, in the New American Standard, it says, if it is with difficulty that righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? If it's so difficult, it's, it's a, God's doing a work in us and we're becoming more like our Savior. 
How hard is it for the, the unbeliever? It says in Proverbs 11, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. Peter has made the point that we in the church need to clean up our act, and if we need to clean up our act, how about the people who aren't in the church? Are we for him or against him? Does everybody know you're a Christian? Are you unashamed of the gospel? Are you, are you reaching out to those who are hurting and lost? Again, though it's tough standing as a believer before a lost world, try standing as an unrepentant sinner before Almighty God. Let me say that again. While it might be tough to stand as a believer before an unrepentant world, try standing as an unrepentant sinner before Almighty God. Guys, let's stand, let's stand for the Lord. Amen? Let's be unashamed of the gospel. Then finally, last verse, examine your lives. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God Commit their souls to him in doing good to a faithful creator. Have you fully committed your life into his care, to living an obedient life in, in, to, to the perfect will of God? Are you willing to suffer that he might be glorified? As Christians, we can indeed suffer even as we walk in faithful obedience. And the context is that's exactly what was happening when he wrote this letter. These were people that were suffering because they were standing for God. And he's encouraging them to do that very thing. Let us suffer according to the will of God. Okay, guys, I get it. You're suffering. Okay, let us suffer. And then he says, committing their souls to him in doing good. Continue to share your faith. Continue to be unashamed of the gospel. Even as they're persecuting you, don't allow them to quiet you. Continue to stand up for the things of God. Be unashamed of the gospel. And then it says at the end there, as, a faith, as to a faithful creator. Exactly what was happening to them. How should they respond? Commit the keeping of their souls to him. Keep trusting him. Continue to follow and obey him. Don't try to fix your problem your way. Trust the Lord. Commit your soul to him. Here's another thing the enemy will do. You'll get so caught up in some heavy duty thing that's taking place in your life and you get so focused on that that you're rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. You'll have, one, you'll have something that was unfortunate or difficult or whatever it might be, and it will consume you. It'll be all you talk about. It'll be all you think about. In the meantime, you're walking right by people who need to get saved. Amen? See, if the enemy can't take you to hell with him, he'll render you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. Suffering is a part of God's plan. Temporary suffering brings eternal fruit. It's worth it. Amen? Temporary suffering is a part of God's plan to bring about eternal fruit. It's worth it. No suffering is wasted. God says that, he, that we will, in this world, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. See, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Commit our souls to him. There's a great peace in knowing that he holds your life in his hands. He is a faithful creator. Is he a faithful creator? He loves us. He created us. He knows what's best for us. And praise God, he holds us in his hand. And here's the New Living Translation of that last verse. It says, so if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to God who made you, for he will never fail you. I like that. You read that again. So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to, God, to the God who made you, for he will never fail. Guys, the trials we're going through 
is a part of God's plan. Let's let him use it for his kingdom and for his glory, molding us more into the image of our Savior and being a testimony to a lost and a dying world that there is hope, but that hope can only come in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, examine our lives. The source of our suffering is a persecution for our faith or consequences of sin. Am I ashamed of the Lord or bringing glory to his name? Am I living every day in light of eternity with a sense of urgency? And then finally, have I fully committed my life to the Lord? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, I pray for all of us here, all of us having gone through trials, some of us in the midst of them, some of us in the midst of mourning and grief, great trials, great difficulty, children who are rebellious, uh, marriages that are struggling, difficulties with temporal things like our finances, whatever that trial may be. In the midst of it, Lord, may we always praise you. May we always look to you. And Lord, we ask that you would, uh, we know that you're the God of all comfort. I pray you would comfort those who are suffering. I pray you would comfort those who are grieving. I pray you would comfort and encourage those who are going through great difficulty. Lord, use our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. May we be tools in the hands of our master. If someone needs a hug, use our arms. If someone needs a word of, word of encouragement, use our lips. If someone needs to be uh, provided for, use our wallets. Lord, use all of it for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said...